Hey everyone, welcome to the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast, a podcast dedicated towards helping you stay healthy so you can stay on the golf course and not in the clubhouse. We will be covering all things golf, from fitness, performance, injury recovery, instruction, and everything else in between. I am your host, Dr. Russ Manalastis. I am a board-certified sports physical therapist and strength coach based out of Rochester, New York. Our goal with this podcast is to help you play your best golf yet while doing so without limitations. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Russ. Today, we are joined by Trevor Sousa. Trevor is the Victor High School head varsity golf coach. He's also a strength coach and a PE and health teacher. Trevor, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Russ. Thanks so much for having me, man. I'm excited for this opportunity. This is my first podcast, so I appreciate it. Well, listen, man, we're going to break you in then, right? Absolutely. I'm ready. Let's go. So, Trevor, I'm I'm really excited to have this talk with you because I think you, you can shed a lot of light on maybe just kind of how to manage, you know, obviously uh, golf athletes, but also like the youth golf athlete or just youth uh, sports in, in, in specifically, because I know you do, uh, you coach hockey as well. So maybe kind of take us through kind of your, your, your background story in terms of your education, where you went to school, and ultimately your journey uh, to obviously teaching PE, but also becoming the, the varsity head coach at Victor High School. Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, I didn't go straight into it, but, um, you know, I played golf in high school. I'm a uh, Fairport High School grad, 2003, and I played on the high school team there um, under the legendary coach, Bill Sanford, who was a, a great mentor, a great coach for me. I graduated 2007 from SUNY Cortland with my Bachelor's of Science in Physical Education. And then 2011, I graduated with my Master's of Science in Health Education from Mississippi State University. Go Bulldogs. I never stepped foot on campus, but I got my degree from there. <laughs> I got a pair of shorts to prove it too. There you go. Um, so I was hired by Victor in 2007. I was fortunate to student teach there in the junior high and kind of got my foot in the door. And I, I took that eight weeks really seriously. Like I tell people that are student teaching, this is an eight week job interview. So if you take it seriously and, and, you know, put a lot of time and effort into it, it can, and it can open some doors. And luckily it opened the door for me. And then, so actually that was September, 2007 when I got hired and in the spring of 2008. So at that point, golf was a fall sport and I had started coaching volleyball, uh, just kind of on a whim. The, they had a brand new volleyball coach. I'd never done volleyball in my life. I'm five foot nine on my, on my best day. So I guess I could have been a libero if I played, but he just asked me, Hey, do you want to, do you want to coach? And I said, sure. I don't know much about volleyball, but I knew I wanted to coach. Sure. So I started coaching as an assistant for the varsity team. And then, so golf was a fall sport at that point because they were part of the Finger Lakes. And I didn't have the opportunity to start with golf. But in the spring of 2009, Victor actually transitioned from the Finger Lakes to Monroe County, which moved golf into the spring. So I wasn't coaching. Uh, I, I did coach JB uh, lacrosse for a year in the spring of 2008 with Jim Andre, who's built the, uh, the powerhouse legacy of the varsity team now. So in 2009, I asked Paul Sanders, who was the golf coach and a teaching pro over at Ravenwood, just, hey, you know, I'm a new teacher in the district, you know, relatively new and want to help out the golf team. I have a passion for golf. And so he took me on as the program assistant and I helped out the JV team and the varsity team, depending upon uh, where the need was. So I got that opportunity there. So I, I helped out the program in 09, and then actually that winter of 09-10, a girls modified softball job opened up, and I didn't, I didn't make any money volunteering for the team, and I was kind of at that point where I needed to make a little more money, so I said, hey, let's make sure, or let's take this modified 
So I actually reached out to the varsity softball coach who I teach with and said, Hey, do you mind if I put in to be the modified softball co coach? And she said, sure. And I didn't even have to interview. She's like, you got the job. Cause I did, I actually coached softball when I was, when I was student teaching uh, as an assistant. So I had a little experience. So I called up Paul and I said, Paul, I'm not going to be able to help out the golf team again this spring. Cause I'm going to take this modified coaching position. And Paul said, it's actually interesting that you're saying that cause I'm going to be stepping down next week. And so I was like, really what's going on? So he had a, he had a challenge of balancing, managing his clients in the spring and coaching golf. Sure. He could do it in the fall cause golf was kind of slowing down and, he wasn't doing as many lessons, but springtime, people want to get their lessons right away to get ready for the season. So he told, yeah, he told me he was stepping down, and I said, okay. So I immediately the next day called, talked to Shelly Collins, the softball coach, and said, Shelly, I'm going to have to pursue this varsity golf position. So I joke with her, I was modified softball coach for a day. Um, <laughs> I think I read a couple books, actually, too, because I was getting ready. But So I pursued it, and you would think that this is a sought-after position, uh, that I was going to be uh, interviewing against hundreds of candidates. Guys, everybody wants to be the high school golf coach, right? Everybody. I interviewed against myself, and luckily I didn't mess it up too much, and they hired me in 2010 uh, to take over the, the varsity, varsity boys program. Hey, right place at the right time, man. It just comes out to timing sometimes, you know? Oh, it does. Uh, and in this case, it, timing was, was pretty awesome for me. That's, that's great. And again, obviously with your background in golf, and you know, I, I think the important part too is – you know, I think you knew you wanted to maybe gravitate that way at some point. And the fact that the opportunity opened up for you to really just kind of slide into that role. And, and obviously you haven't, you haven't given it up since like, that's, a, that's an awesome opportunity. Yeah. It's been pretty cool because the golf program has been around for a long time at Victor, but now doing it since 2010, this would have been my 11th spring coaching. I've been able to kind of build it how I wanted to with the athletes that I've had, we've all done it together. So it's, it's definitely been a, a fun 10 years and, I'm missing out on the, the spring with these guys, but still trying to stay connected with them as much as I can. Yeah. So maybe kind of speak about like just, you know, again, obviously with golf being a relatively individualized sport, right? You know, you as a coach, you have to manage a team of golfers, right? And I think that has its unique challenges. I mean, what are some ways you keep kids motivated and hungry ultimately to play golf at a high level, especially in a team format? The team format is great. I think these kids grow up playing the sport as an individual, and then all of a sudden they get an opportunity to try out for our program, whether it be JV or varsity. And they all of a sudden now take this individual sport that they love, and now it's applied to a team. So I don't think that I have to do a ton of extra motivating for them to compete on the team outside of you know what anybody would do for any, any sport. Because now that score that they're putting out there that usually just counts for themselves counts for the team. Yeah. We do a, a best five out of six scoring. So college, you total them up and whoever's got the lower total wins the match. And we've won matches by a stroke. We've lost matches by a stroke. We've tied matches. And then the tiebreaker is that drop score. Whoever has the lower drop score, that's a tiebreaker. And we've lost and won on those tiebreakers. So it comes down to very small margins. You can't, see this board behind me very clearly but that was my my when my team won 2018 the girls team actually because I coached the girls as well we won by a stroke over the course of 18 holes 436 to 437 so or sorry excuse me 386 to 387 so it's a, a small margin and I think once the guys realize that the veterans know it because they've been through it but once the younger guys realize like how close these team matches come down to they really, they get motivated pretty quickly because they know, hey, I, now my score 
counts for the team and the team can either be successful or unsuccessful uh, based off of one shot here or there over the course of nine or 18 holes. So yeah, I, I, I don't think I have to do a, a ton extra for, to get these guys motivated to, to be excited to compete for the team. So maybe kind of speak upon, and you know, maybe this is a, maybe a little different there, but maybe kind of speak upon, you know, some of the kids that you know maybe enter the golf program. Are these kids that kids that are brand new to golf? Like, what what's the mix that you see there? So at Victor, it's changed a lot in the last ten years. When I first started coaching, we had a, you know a bunch of kids that were experienced tournament golf, uh, doing some of that stuff. But then we also had some kids that were coming out for the team and just saying, hey, I'm going to try out for golf. And some of those kids were making it. Yeah. Um, but as, as things have progressed in Victor specifically, all the sports, not just golf, things have changed a lot. Now, for you to make the JV or varsity team, uh, you really have to do have a competitive background. You have to have you know, probably worked with a swing coach, played in some tournaments, and understand all of those processes. So it's definitely the, the makeup has changed. I, I look at back at tryouts from years ago and scores that were making our varsity and JV teams wouldn't, wouldn't make it nowadays, which is a good problem to have. Uh, so the landscape has changed. And that's going to be different from school to school. There's a ton of good Section 5 golf teams, but every, everyone's going to be a little bit different as far as how many kids they have trying out and, and how experienced those kids are as well. So from what I see in Victor – you you really have to have your your game in check if you're gonna if you're gonna make and compete. Yeah, I can attest to that. You know, with our satellite office being at Cobblestone, you know, we see a decent amount of Victor kids kind of come through that area, and there's a lot of talent in the Victor area with regards to golf. That's for sure. Yeah, I would say most of the stuff that I focus on just to keep the team a team is that culture stuff. Now, you know, my my culture philosophy in 2010 versus what it is now is very different. I remember telling my teams early on, like. You don't have to be best friends, but when we're together, you know, you're going to respect each other. And now, like, I've always been a relationship guy where I want to build relationships to, to make sure those guys know that I care about them and they're going to, you know, work a little bit harder because I know they care about them. But now I focus a lot more on them caring about each other. You know, having a superstar on your team is great, but it's not better than having super teammates on your team. And that's a slogan that I use a lot with all of my teams. And guys know when they graduate, oftentimes they're not going to remember that person who had the, the best match average or the most medalists or, you know, who, who finished best the most times who got their name in the paper. It's, they're going to remember how you made them feel over the course of the years that you played with them. So I focus a lot more on the culture. We read team books together. We've read the hard hat, uh, my boys team and girls team, my girls team just read training camp this past fall. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where I put a lot of my efforts into coaching is that culture. I send out a daily quote, every single morning with a that's you know maybe has a little bit of a theme along with hey don't forget the buses today this is the color shirt we're wearing today we do team building activities and we're just trying to build I'm trying to build a lot more connections just like I would any other sport I like you said I, I coach hockey and I treat both my golf programs just like I treat as my treat the hockey program in my assistant role yeah and I think too like the camaraderie that you can develop by building a culture that is well set in on caring for each other I mean, it's unprecedented, right? And those are the things that they'll remember when they graduate from high school is that, hey, I love the opportunity to, one, play golf, but I love even more the opportunity to get to know the people on my team and really have lifelong friends. You know, your hope is that you can create that type of culture, and I think that's awesome that you're doing that. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. 
So tell me this, you know, obviously you mentioned it before, you know, with golfers that are maybe well-versed in, or maybe have played in tournaments or have worked with swing coaches prior to maybe coming to your program. <clears throat> I mean, how do you, how do you go about communicating or maybe collaborating with, let's say um, a golf instructor or a swing coach when, when you've got this team-based approach, you're trying to create this culture, right? And you've got maybe individual you know, swing coaches or trainers or whatever it may be, maybe kind of telling them what to do or how to do it. I mean, how, how do you go about collaborating with maybe some local pros or, or in that respect? I think part of my experience growing up has kind of helped that a little bit because I had a couple of different swing coaches growing up and what one swing coach did with me was different than what another swing coach did. So once I took over the program in 2010, I made it very apparent, especially to the parents and the players that I'm their golf coach. I'm not their swing coach. And I understand if I have 10 guys on the team, they might see 10 different people and those 10 different instructors might teach the swing and what they want done 10 different ways. Uh, if you look even at the pros, the different philosophies that are, are there, that are there, if you talk about address as position A to impact as position B, how you get from A to B, there's a thousand different ways to do it. And I have taught lessons. Uh, I used to work at Eagle Vale in the summers and I taught junior camps and uh, even gave some private lessons to either kids or adults. So I, I have the ability to help kids, but I also realize that the way that I go about do th doing things might be different from what their coach is. So I make it very apparent that I'm their golf coach. I'm not their swing coach. If a kid is struggling uh, in a nine hole match or an 18 hole match and calls me over and says, coach, I, I got this going on. Come take a look. I'll be there for the quick fix or the bandaid. But at the end of the day, I'm not trying to step on any, any swing coach's toes because I'm lucky that I'm in Victor. We have, uh, we're immersed in the golf culture. We just, if you look at where Victor schools is and all the golf courses that are directly around it, we're just in like the Mecca of golf and, and Rochester has even the expanded out the area of Rochester has so many great swing instructors. So I think, you know, just my conversations with them, whether it be directly talking to them, because I see actually a lot of these coaches at Ravenwood or at the coach, the courses that we're at, if kids go other places, just, you know, reminding them that I'm not there to step on anybody's toes. I'm there to, you know, coach the other aspects of the game, help with their approach, help with their strategy, help with their mental aspect, help with the, the team aspect of it. And then what they bring to the table swing wise, that's completely up to their, their coach. So, you know, I, hopefully it's a, it's been a good working relationship with all the, the swing instructors that know, Hey, my kid's playing Victor or my, one of my students is playing Victor golf. Um, hopefully they're pretty comfortable knowing. Yeah. Coach Suze is not going to try to change what I'm doing. And I think that's a breath of fresh air, right? Because I think, you know, when you look at the sport of golf and, you know, like you said, there's a thousand different ways to swing and you look at, you know, even just on the pro, the pro tour itself, you look at the top 50 guys, they all swing differently, right? So I think the fact that you're open to one, maybe looking at different qualities of how you coach and not so much the swing itself, I think that can go a long way. And again, creating an environment that's conducive to collaboration than maybe just kind of bumping heads all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, from us knowing each other a little bit, I think those relationships are important. You know, I want the, I want the coaches in the area and a lot of my colleagues, all this other section five coaches, I think feel the same way. A lot of them have a background in background in golf so they can help out when needed. There's sometimes some kids in other programs that don't have swing instruction. So us golf coaches are there to help. I've had, I've had kids that haven't had swing instructors and they've asked me to stay a little bit later on the range and help them. I'm glad to do that. But I'm, I'm really, we're, we're all kind of really w willing to help in, in any way that we need. And we're not going to kind of step on somebody else's toes uh, to do that.
That's great. You know, and I think, like you said, it just creates a better environment for the athlete to feel more comfortable, right? And it's not, you know, there's no tension there. It's, hey, what can we do to put you in the best position to be successful? And if, I think if you do that, I think the athlete will appreciate that, you know, however long they're in their program before they graduate, which is great. Absolutely. And that's part of their trust either from their swing instructor and that's trust coming from me or any coach, you know, just trying to be, especially golf when, you know, things are so different individually from person to person. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Hey, whatever works for you and you're successful, you feel comfortable. Let's go with that. And that's fine. And I think that carries over to, you know, a lot of different aspects, whether that's, you know, strength conditioning, whether that's performance, whether that's instruction, you know, there's, there's a lot of carryover. It's, it's not, there's not one specific way that works for everyone. There's that, that whole idea of like, Hey, there's a cookie cutter model and that everyone should fit into that model. I mean, I think you need to look at every individual, see what qualities they have that are really there, that they really excel in and then see what things they may struggle with and what can you do to help kind of bring those struggles up so that you can kind of even out the playing field there a bit. hundred percent. That's well said. So, you know, obviously with you seeing a lot of younger golfers, right, that are maybe on at different levels or maybe on different paths with regards to their golf journey, I mean, what's the number one thing you maybe see as a struggle that young golfers kind of deal with when it comes to playing golf? I would say from a high school standpoint, um, I generally work with, you know, any, any kids from 7th to 12th grade. I've had some 7th graders make the varsity team. Um, so that's a, that's a wide range of developmental, um, not only just physical ability, but I think the mental aspect is probably the biggest thing that younger golfers, uh, struggle with. I think we see kids younger and younger getting golf clubs in their hands and they've got some great abilities. They've got great talent. And then they're being, their swings are being cultivated by a lot of great coaches and some coaches go into the mental aspect of it. Not all of them do. So I think from a high school standpoint and coaching standpoint, I think the biggest struggle we see is probably the mental aspect. And you're a golfer and, you know, people listening, they play golf. They understand just how cruel this game can be. You know, you can hit the best drive that you've ever hit in your life and follow it up with the worst shot that you've ever, ever hit. Or you can have the best hole that you've ever had in your life and then follow it up with the worst hole you've ever had in your life and, or the best nine, worst nine, the best round, worst round. So make that as big or small as you want it's a game that that's going to mess with you. And I think people love it because you're never going to perfect it. So I think having the ability to deal with adversity, fail in situations and being able to bounce back and move forward from that is probably the thing that because they're teenagers, whether it's boys or girls, you know, they, they're still developing their brain, still developing and trying to come up with these different aspects of how to deal with adversity and not just golf. That's in life too. I talk about that in my health and PE classes, that that's just part of, decision-making and you're going to fail and make mistakes and how you overcome that to, to get better and learn from it. So it, it obviously golf lends itself to life, a lot of life lessons. And that's, that's probably the thing that I see the most. So that's, that's one of the things that I try to, to, to tackle. And I think the, that sometimes we, we lack perspective. I think we right now have gained a lot of perspective back dealing with this global pandemic of some things that have been taken away from us. And I, hopefully that's going to bring some perspective back, not only to the the kids, but to us as well. Mm -hmm. So I try to teach that through perspective. And I think one of the things my, my kids hear me say a lot is there's far worse things going on in the world or in somebody's life than making a bogey, a double bogey, a triple bogey, a quadruple bogey, making a 10, 11, 12, 15 on a hole, whatever. 
that's not the end of the world. And if you can realize that and bounce back from that right away, and you know, there's a cliche in golf, the most important shot is the next shot. And that's a tough thing to remember because sometimes we hang out in the past or sometimes we we start get to so far ahead of ourselves. Like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm even through five, you know, this is the best I've ever played. You know, maybe I'll, I'll be even for the round and all of a sudden you start to get too far ahead of yourself and you, you lose focus. So I think keeping that perspective and staying in the moment as cliche as it is, that's, that's kind of what I try to drill into my players heads and any, any younger golfer that is trying to work on their game, develop that mental toughness, that aspect as well, where you can bounce back and realize that you're going to fail there too, because you know, we as adults, you know, we fail and our brain is supposedly fully developed. I'm still waiting to see if mine is or not, but you know, it's, it's okay. They're still developing and they're still going through these challenges maybe for the first time. So they have to, they have to learn, they have to learn their way around, but that's definitely an area that uh, I, I see probably is highlighted the most of the bounce back, the adversity, the, the willing to, to finish strong, even if you, you struggled a little bit. Yeah, and I think, too, like, because you see such a wide range, I mean, anywhere between seventh grade up to a senior year of high school, I mean, like you said, the mental aspect of that, or even just the maturation of, you know, that that span of those ages, <clears throat> you can get all sorts of different kids with all different types of mental makeup, right? And I think be able to, like you said, cultivate that and, and show them, hey, in the grand scheme of things, it's not the end of the world. And the fact that you can hopefully move on from shot to shot and not dwell on the last one, depending on how, either good or bad it was, I think they can go a long way in, in showing them that mental fortitude that's needed in order to play golf either at the next level or whatever they want to do. Not only even just the sport of golf, but I think in life as well. Yeah, absolutely. And over the 10 years that I've been coaching and even into this year, I'm connecting with my athletes. I don't get to see them on the golf course. I've had the range of the kid that all of a sudden hits you know, one or two bad shots and it's over and you really got to help them and help develop that to the kids who have just come into the program as mental grinders, like nothing phases them. They're just always focused on the next shot. And, you know, so that individualistic piece, just like coaching any other sport, um, getting, getting, getting a little bit further and pushing them a little bit further on that. If they, if they progress there, um, I'm pretty excited, you know, to see kids over the course of their career, be able to do that. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I think that's great insight because, most kids who are looking to play the sport of golf and because it's so reliant on you, right? Just you in terms of hey, each shot is, there's no one else that you're depending on, right? So I think if you can kind of harness that and make sure that they understand how best to deal with adversity, deal with maybe some of the stress of playing the sport, especially either in an individualized or team format. I mean, I think that can go, it can give them a lot of life, lifelong lessons that they can deal with and move forward with moving as they, as they graduate through high school. Yeah. And I think playing on the team, I think playing on a team helps because I remember playing, I started playing in competitive tournaments when I was like 12 or 13 and I turned that scorecard in at the end. And that number is, was only on me, you know, and I couldn't blame anybody else for that number. And I grew up playing team sports as well. And sometimes people want to point the fingers, oh, we lost because of this play. We lost because of that. Uh, I think one of the things that really attracted me to golf was it was all on me. And then when I became part of a team, I held myself to a little bit higher of a standard because I knew that I had to, I had to finish as strong as I could, even on my bad days to contribute positively to the team. So it definitely, it definitely helped because again, there's, there's nobody else to blame, but yourself when, when you play an individual sport. Yeah. I think that's, you know, again, we, we talked about this on our very first uh, episode is that, you know, the thing that I gravitated towards with regards to golf was 
that every shot was dependent on you, right? You controlled every aspect of that. And, you know, outside of the environment or the climate or the weather, whatever it may be, like you literally controlled every aspect of your game. And I think that's why I think I really gravitated towards it. And obviously as to why I'm back into the whole golf niche and working with golfers, because, you know, listen, you know, like at the end of the day, performance comes down to a number of different variables, right? And I think if you can control some of those variables and understand how to kind of, you know, navigate those that can set you up for long-term success when playing the sport, because you can play this game for an extended amount of time. Right. You can play it for the lifespan. And I think that's the cool part about this game, too. Definitely. So let's do this. Let's transition to uh, what we call our what's in the bag segment. Right. So, again, golfers always like to kind of hear what uh, our guests are swinging. So maybe give us an idea of what what clubs you've got in your bag currently right, right now, coach. I had to go check my bag because they've only been out once this year. <laughs> I was in my trunk just making sure I was listing the right stuff. So I play a, a Titleist 915D driver, 10 and a half shaft, stiff flex. I actually got fitted for that driver by my golf coach, Brian Jacobs, who works out at Mill Creek. Yeah. Uh, I, did a, I did a fitting with him. I have a Callaway Razor X Forward that I just kind of find a, uh, found on the shelf at Big Oak for like, I don't know. 50 bucks or something like that, that I hit a few times. So that club's actually going to be replaced soon. My, that's my next, uh, my next purchase. Don't, don't tell my wife that though. <laughs> um, I play Nike vapor, uh, pro combo irons. And I actually got those right before Nike got out of the hard hey. goods out of the clubs yeah. and stuff. So that's my three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love them though. And that was another thing that I did too. Uh, I got fitted for those as well. So that's my three through pitching wedge. Uh, they have KBS two or one twenty shafts in them. They were hard stepped, which means like the, I think I'm saying this correctly, the pitching wedge shaft is in the nine iron. So they were all stepped up one Mm -hmm. um, just because it helped my ball flight a little bit. So I did that with Brian Jacobs as well. And to the golfers that are listening to it, whether you're youth or, you know, not, and you're looking to buy a new set of clubs, if you have the means of doing it, the time and a little extra money, get fit for a set of clubs. It completely changed my game for me. It made me so much more consistent. And my misses are, are so much more consistent as opposed to just going to the store and buying them off the shelf or just going on Amazon and buying them. So little plug for going out there and getting uh, fitted for clubs. Um, I've got the best wedges in the world, Titleist SM6, uh, Vokey wedges, and my setup is 50 degree, 54, and 58. Nice. Um, works out the best for the yardages that I hit. And then I have a Nike method blade putter that's uh, center shafted with a 3.0 mid super stroke grip on it. Uh, a little bit wider of a grip to keep the wrists out of the putting stroke. Yeah, love it. Love the details, man. Like people love that stuff, right? And they can geek out on that all day long. So that's awesome that you kind of provided some of that insight. Yeah. And it's funny. I was never like a club geek, man. I just, when I was younger, I just, my first set, my grandfather made for me when I was nine years old. And that's kind of what got me into the game. And then I just would go to the store and buy a set of clubs. So as soon as I started taking a little bit of instruction over the last few years, getting fit it it made a big deal and i i love it and so i become a little bit more of a a club geek because of that stuff and i would i mean i'll second that like you know the opportunity to get fit for clubs it's a game changer it really is right instead of just randomly picking out the the clubs that are maybe on sale or maybe let's say outdated from the past seasons or going on amazon nowadays like Getting fit for clubs so to understand like what your game is best suited for, that can go a long way in keeping you consistent when you're playing the sport. 
Yeah. And going through the process of just putting a different head with a different shaft and seeing all the numbers pop up on track, man, of the spin rates and the launch rates and like where I was with my old clubs and way off of where I needed to be. Uh, it was, it was fascinating. And, uh, you know, it's, it's so cool because now there's so many different places that are doing club fittings and there's just so many different options and they'll, they'll just get you set up to what's going to fit your game. And having the right equipment is, is definitely key into making those strides into being a little bit better. Absolutely. So let's do this. Let's do our shotgun round. So our shotgun round is basically we're going to ask you a bunch of questions. Uh, you're going to try and answer as best and as fast as you can. And then we'll kind of get through that and maybe kind of finish up with some words of wisdom from you. All right. I'm buckling up right now. I'm ready. <laughs> all right. So how about a uh, favorite golfer for you? hundred percent Tiger Woods all day. I grew up in the Tiger era. I mean, most people did like most people that are coming on this podcast. TW is, is their guy. Yep. How about a uh, favorite golf brand? Favorite brands, Titleist. I think they make uh, the consistently the, the best stuff out there. Balls, clubs. I think they're great. I mean, they're, they're, there's a reason why they're world renowned for <laughs> stuff that when it comes to golf apparel, club fittings, all that stuff. Bogey wedges. I mean, they're the best they're, of the best. They're incredible. All right. What about preferred drink or snack while you're playing? Typically little bio steel, I'm a big bio steel fan. Uh, I'll, I usually pack a peanut butter sandwich uh, Nutri-Grain bar, maybe some trail mix, stuff like that. Just, just a snack throughout the round. So nice. How about, um, par three or par five? Oh, par five all day. <laughs> uh, any chance you get to let the big dog, let the big dog out and wallop one and maybe hit the green in two and, and have an Eagle. I'm, I'm all for the par fives. I got a little bit of a gripe with par threes too. I, I still have zero hole in ones. So until I get that hole in one, the par three staying a little bit lower on my list. You don't sound bitter about that at all, coach. <laughs> no, my, my cousin out in Utah has got two of them. He reminds me a lot. Like, he, he, he's not an avid golfer. He was a lacrosse player, but he's knocked in two hole-in-ones, and he harasses me all the time. All right, how about cart or walk? I prefer walking. I've enjoyed using a push cart lately, but I probably use a cart more often just because most of the people I play with use a cart. So I prefer the walk, though. Hey, listen, you got two young kids as well, right? Sometimes it saves some time and it gets you back home a little bit sooner. So I think, you know, again, as much as we obviously promote walking, sometimes cart is really conducive from an efficiency standpoint, that's for sure. No doubt. But I like that uh, right now golf courses are open and it's walking only. So Absolutely. Maybe, that'll, maybe that'll inspire some people. Absolutely. Maybe it'll kind of kickstart the opportunity. And, hey, maybe, maybe do a little more walking this season as opposed to using the cart. Absolutely. All right, how about Caddyshack or Happy Gilmore? Oh, uh, Happy Gilmore all day. And I know that I might get some flack for this, but I, I grew up with Happy Gilmore. I think it's the most quotable movie out there. There's just so many good one-liners. I love Caddyshack. It has so many good one-liners too. It was just a little bit before my time. So, and it, Happy Gilmore marries the two sports that I love the most, golf and hockey. So there you go. How, could I, how could I not love it? That's right. It's a good blend of both of what you do. Or right, how about favorite golf memory for you? I got to cheat on this one because I have a few. For my, my top one personally is probably the first time I won the club championship at Eagle Vale in 2007. Um, right. my, dad, my dad was caddying for me, and he did the years before that. I competed and finished runner-up a couple times, and I worked there for years. So I really wanted to win that one time, and there's a little plaque that goes on the wall with the name and stuff. So I was pretty excited that that was going to be etched up there forever. I can still yeah. walk in the Eagle Vale Pro Shop and see that. I, def I defended in 2008 and won it again in 11, so I ended up winning it a couple times. But awesome. I shot 71-72 to win the 2001 by 14 strokes. I had a, had a really good weekend. So nice. that, was my, 
my personal highlight. Also, too, the two sectional championships I've won with my team. In 2017, my boys' golf team won sectionals for the very first time. We shot 299. That's the poster that's right here. Still have that memorabilia. Uh, and we won by two strokes over Brighton. And then the girls' 2018 championship, which I pointed out right back here when we won by a stroke. Uh, my girls' program is only four seasons old. So for us to win a sectional championship was, was pretty cool. So those are, those are the, the, the best golf memories. Notice there's no hole in one on there. <laughs> Again, okay. bitter, not, not bitter about not it. Not bitter at all. <laughs> all right. So let's do this. How, who's someone you'd recommend we reach out to be a guest on the show? I would say Brian Jacobs would be a good one to reach out to. He's been teaching golf for upwards of 25 years here in the area. He's one of the United States, like, one of only six or seven Hank Haney certified instructors. He's a golf golf channel partner. He works out at Mill Creek. He's a personal friend of mine. He, and uh, he was actually in education as well. He was a health teacher at uh, in the city, at, uh, one of the high schools there. So he is very knowledgeable, knows the game, knows the Rochester area. He'd, he'd bring a lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff to, to this, this show. Yeah. I mean, we've had a conversation with Brian before and obviously, you know, you know our, our collaboration with next level, next level used to do a lot of work with Brian in the past. So, um, he's definitely someone we're going to reach out to see if we can get on the show for sure. Great. All right, so let's do this. Let's finish up with this. Maybe some words of wisdom for you. Like for someone who's looking to get into, let's say, playing golf or maybe looking to improve their performance. I mean, what would, what would be your recommendation as to maybe where to start? Um, I think where to start is definitely, uh, you know, find somebody that you trust and can build a good relationship with to get you the fundamentals. You know, finding a swing coach is extremely important. And being in the Rochester area, we have a ton of them uh, all over at all the golf courses. So I think that's a, a good place to start. And then obviously, you know, if, if you've got family, I think a lot of people have family that get them into it. So having that, that social aspect as well. Bottom line is golf is one of those industries that if you're in the business world or you're in, you know, the world that you're in with clients and stuff, like you're going to be exposed to golf. Eventually you're going to be asked to maybe represent the company in a scramble or, or entertain some clients. So it's not a bad idea for even people that think they'll never touch a golf club in the future to, to get some knowledge because there might be a day that your boss knocks on the door and says, Hey, you're playing in the, the, the company outing next week. we got a big client coming to come into town and uh, we got to bring them out. So, and then, you know, I, I think at the, the, the next level, you know, I think uh, that was something that you were thinking about as well, playing golf at the next level, right? Yeah. I think there's a misconception out there that there's all this money, this, all this athletic scholarship money out there when there's not really. And if you especially look at golf, there's not a ton of athletic scholarships out there for golf. Most schools at the Division One, Division Two level are splitting those scholarships up amongst the whole team. Mm. Uh, you have to be a really rare talent to get a full ride for golf. So my suggestion to young golfers, if this is something that you're looking at, you're a high school golfer now and you want to play at the collegiate level, uh, academics has to be the priority. That's where a lot of the money is. That's where the, the schools are going to be able to support you and say, yeah, you've got the academics. We can bring you in. We can put a lot of money from our academic fund. Uh, and here's, you know, a little bit of the money that we have from our athletic fund. I think there's a big misconception out there for all sports that if you're the, the best of the best, you're just going to get a full ride. And I think more and more so full rides are kind of going by the wayside in a lot of sports, especially at those big division one schools that have, have big division one football programs. Like that's, that's what's bringing in the revenue for the school. So that's what they're going to devote a lot of their athletic money to. Yeah. 
Um, I actually got to have a neat conversation with the Rutgers golf coach. He came up to the New York State Golf Championship when I was there with a couple of my guys uh, this past spring. And I was scoring for a group of a kid that he was recruiting. So I saw him in the Rutgers gear and I went over and introduced myself and I talked to him for about an hour. So I asked him, I said, what's the number one thing that you as a division one golf coach look for in a kid when you're recruiting? And his answer kind of astounded me. I was waiting for, you know, I want him to hit it a long ways. I want him to be great putters. I want him to always, always score well. He simply said they need to love the game. And I was like, doesn't, doesn't everybody playing college golf love the game? And he's like, no, I've had, I've had kids that have lasted a year in my program because they don't love the game. He's like, once they come to college, they have all these distractions. They have a social life. They have academics. They have clubs. They have fraternities. They have all these different things that they're doing. So if they don't love the game, they're not going to put the time in to get better themselves. And if they don't put the time in to get better themselves, they're not going to make my team better. So I really look for athletes that love the game. They eat, sleep, and breathe golf. And it's like, one of the number one priorities that they have in their life. And I think that that's, you know, the cliche of they're going to work hard. They're going to be relentless. If you love something, you're just, you're going to pursue it passionately and do it because you want to do it, not because you're, you're forced to. And he even mentioned, he's like, I'll find out some kids are playing for mom. Some kids are playing because dad wants them to. So he's like, I really look for the kids that love the game. And I thought that was, was fascinating. That's um, a insight. Cause I think, especially now when you look at the younger athlete, there are so many distractions, you know, outside of you, even in college, like even in high school you know, with social media and all these different things and all this technology now, like if you don't have a, a strong passion or affinity for a certain sport or whatever it may be, then your likelihood of really working at that. And again, golf's not an easy sport, right? It's, it's one of those things where you need to put in the work and you need to put in the time and effort and the investment right, to make sure that you can play at a high level. And I think, like the coach at Rutgers said, if they don't love the sport, you're going to notice it pretty quickly. And when you notice it pretty quickly, they might not, they might not last very long in that program, like, like he had mentioned. Yeah, the more and more I talk to college coaches and the more and more I watch college coaches do interviews and, and post things about what they're doing, you know, some of the best college coaches, Frank Martin as a basketball coach, and even Mike Krzyzewski, like, they're still recruiting talent but more so the recruiting character. They want, to, they want the kids that are going to be committed uh, to, to their team, to their sport, to what they want to do, because I think that's the direction they realize that sports is going, whether it be from the youth or high school or college level. Kids that love the game and that are going to be great teammates and that are going to be able to pick themselves up after failing or adversity and just overall high-quality kids that are going to keep themselves out of trouble and stay focused on their academics. I think most college coaches are realizing that that's what's going to make their program successful, not the fact that the kid is the best golfer or the best basketball player in the nation. I think more and more of a focus is going on that, that character piece. Yeah, and I think, too, like from an athletic standpoint, you know, you look at golf, or you look at any sport, I mean, to get to the pinnacle of like the professional aspect of it, there's not many people that get there, right? So focusing on the academics, focusing on that character piece is a crucial part for any program that wants to take on an athlete. And ultimately, I think, too, the athlete needs to understand, like, the likelihood of them going on to, to, to play at a professional level, it's very low, right? And I think the expectation needs to be set from the get-go. Hey, focus on your studies, focus on your academics, so that if the opportunity arises and you do well and you can play professionally, awesome. But also have a backup plan that you know that your academics and your degree is going to what, it's what's going to allow you to sustain your ability to do what you want to do long-term. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I saw a good quote somewhere that said, you know, high school athletics is not the pursuit for the the division one college scholarship. It's, you know, so much more of the character building and the life lessons. And I think, you know, more, hopefully more and more of our society and our culture starts to understand that, you know, chasing that is good, have those big dreams and want that stuff, but also realize there's a lot of other aspects of life uh, that you need to accomplish as well. I look at uh, David Ferentz right now. He's uh, one of the kids that we coach, and I know he works out at next level in the summers when he's home. He was drafted in the third round by Nashville, has the opportunity probably to leave college a little bit early, but he's going to finish. He just made the decision to stay at BU, finish out his senior year. He's going to get his degree. And this is a kid that is more than likely going to end up in the NHL. Right. You know, So I think, you're, I think we're starting to see that a little bit more, even with these you know, really, really elite athletes understanding that, you know, there's a, there's a bigger picture and there's more to it. Absolutely. Well, this is an awesome conversation, coach. I really, really appreciate your time and your willingness to, Hey, listen, based on this conversation, it doesn't sound like it was your first podcast, man. <laughs> oh, thank, thanks, man. I mean, I told you like opportunity is awesome. Like the fact that I, that I got to do this is awesome with you. And that's one of the things I share with my kids too, is, you know, you have to have a get to mindset versus a have to mindset. When you think about things as having to do them, it sounds negative. But when you think about things getting to do them, it, it's much more positive. So I tell the kids on the golf course, like, you get to play high school golf. You're out here for, for, for basically next to nothing. And, you know, even if you have a terrible round, you at least got to do that. And, you know, somewhere in the world, as, as morbid as it may sound, uh, you know, there's a kid your age struggling, maybe sitting in a hospital bed, getting chemo, cancer treatments, dealing with things that you can't even imagine that wishes he could be making a triple bogey on a golf course right now. So keep that positive and get to mindset throughout your round and it's, it's going to drive you and same thing in life. So that's, that's one of the, probably the last pieces of words of wisdom is have that get to mindset versus that have to mindset and make the daily things that you, that you have to do even if they seem trivial, uh, exciting to do, to do them. So instead of a task or a chore. That's awesome, man. I think that's a great place to kind of wrap up. So, so Trevor, so for those who maybe want to kind of learn about, more about what you're doing or maybe want to reach out to you if they have any questions, maybe it's a parent that maybe has some questions with regards to high school golf. Maybe it's a youth golfer that's maybe listening to this and maybe has some questions about that. What's the best way that they can reach you? They can definitely email me. So my email is uh, easily found on the Victor Schools website, but it's Sousa, S-O-U-S-A-T, at victorschools.org. Um, and I'm also pretty active on Twitter, uh, and it's at Trevor Sousa. Uh, and I'm also semi, starting to be semi more active now in this, this shutdown on Instagram, and that's at Trevor Sousa 18. I guess the original Trevor Sousa got the original handle, so... <laughs> I was late, late, to, late to the party on that one. That's right. But, you know, but the key is you're there, and that's the important part, right? I'm there, yeah. And I'm happy to, to help in golf and, and anything that, that people have. I'm, uh, I, I like to put out a lot of positive stuff. So any, any way that I can help, especially in some times like this, more yeah. than willing to help. No question. Well, Coach, we appreciate your time. Listeners, thanks so much. We'll put all his contact information in the show notes, and we'll catch you next time on the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. Hey everyone, thanks so much again for listening to this week's episode of the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. If you enjoy the content of this show, we would love it if you would leave an iTunes review to help us grow and expand our ability to provide you with the golf information you are seeking. If you're listening to this show and are dealing with aches, pains, or issues from golf that haven't been resolved, or you're not exactly sure where to turn, then let us know how we can help. 
Whether you are local or not, you can work directly with us through our pain-free golf performance program, which is completely virtual and online. This program is customized to you and your goals of playing your best golf yet. We would assess how well you move to give us a baseline of what you can do, and then based on that assessment, come up with a training program best suited for you. We are offering a special podcast promotion, which gives you access to our program at a reduced rate. You can inquire by going to manaperformancetherapy.com forward slash pain-free golf. Again, mana is spelled M-A-N-A. So it's manaperformancetherapy.com forward slash pain-free golf and use the promo code podcast when inquiring so we can help you feel better and play better golf. Be sure to tune into next week's episode and we'll catch you then.